hello there, howdy, and hey, y'all. It is Ginger Minge from RuPaul's Drag Race, Netflix's Dumplin', and the comfort and safety of my bedroom with another exciting edition of Local Queen. Today, I'm very, 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 very excited because we get to talk to not only a very close friend of mine, but one of the most uh, flexible, adaptable, and entertaining queens I think I've ever had the opportunity to work with. The one and only Miss Divine Grace. How are you? Better and better. How are you, sweetheart? Well, about the same. Better and better. I'm getting there. (laughs) It's been a rough couple years. It has been. It's so weird to think that, like, we're on year two of this pandemic. And when it started, we were all kind of under the assumption it would happen and then it would quickly go away and we'd get back to business as normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's times where I feel like we just started this pandemic and times where I feel like there wasn't a before the pandemic. Like this has been going on our entire lives. I am. Uh, I, do, I did not share your optimism. And <laughs> when, when all of this, you know, I'm, I'm 47 years old. And when all of this first went down uh, back in you know, when they started shutting everything down in March, David asked, uh, how long do you think this is going to last? And I don't consider myself to be clairvoyant, but something about it was completely different. So I said, I'd, I bet that it's at least through the year. And, of course, it, we've never seen anything like it. But looking back at um, at the creative progress that like you and Gidget were able to make during lockdown, uh, so many people were able to find other means of performing mm-hmm. um, that did not rely on having an audience sitting in front of you. I don't. I think there was some uh, there was some great creative growth. Yeah. It also it gave us time to sort of um, recalibrate and focus on things like TV Land Live. Mm-hmm. And Which is, I- it's so funny because, you know, for those of you who have listened to the podcast, you know that we have this group we call TV Land Live, where we put on drag kind of queer performance versions of classic television shows. And right before the pandemic hit, we had announced our first full season. We had sold season passes. Season tickets. Season tickets because we had been growing and growing and growing. We were like, okay, we finally have our footing and now we're going to really just make this our entire year. We're going to make it our life and really devote ourselves to it. We were in the middle of our very first show of that season, which was Roseanne Live. And all of a sudden, we were we were uh, hearing these rumblings come through of, uh, there's this coronavirus. It might turn into an epidemic. Oh, it might turn into a pandemic. We don't I know what's going you, on. I don't know who you were listening to, but my president of the United States was saying, this is going to blow over in no time. Get you some <laughs> sunshine and bleach. You're good. And it was just so weird because I also remember, you know, a couple years prior to that, we had had the scare with the swine flu, which turned out to really be nothing. And then before that, it was SARS. 
It's I know it's that that's it. That's just that's what I mean when David was saying like, well, what do you think? Because we've gone through West Nile, SARS, avian bird flu. Every you know, it's it's mm-hmm. a flood, famine, and plague every year for some reason or another. This uh, <laughs> when there started being these these uh, terrible echoes of the news from out of China, from uh, like from reputable news sources, I was like, oh god, it's this isn't this isn't mad cow disease. This is something. Yeah, but I remember we were sitting in the dressing room going, okay, so what do we do if for some reason they make us shut down for a couple of weeks? And and that's really what they were saying at that point was like, hey, this is going to be a couple of weeks. You might want to, you know, get everything together so you can hunker down at home. Like it was a hurricane ready to like pass over and, and go away. And we had so many meetings and we were flying by the seat of our pants trying to figure out what we were going to do with this season. And flash forward two years and we are just now pretty much like midway through what our season should be because at the end of that pandemic we lost our venue mm-hmm. um so now we're relying on the kindness of of these other venues allowing us to come in and rent the space but they are also trying to uh catch up on all of the things they had to cancel or postpone uh-huh. for themselves so it's now now it's like we don't have a home. We're we're just wandering. This wandering. Well, but now, but think about like thank God for unanswered prayers because the venues that we did end up with turned out to be spectacular. Like yes. with Claremont Performing Arts Center, even the Abbey, like being able to perform in in, uh, in broader venues, especially with Claremont, turned out to be a mixed blessing in disguise. Yes, absolutely. And, and and I will say that I think we are now bigger and better and stronger than we would have been. Yeah. But yeah. who knew that two years ago? <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's hard to think that way from an uh, ICU ward. <laughs> well, and I also remember during that, that final week of Roseanne, uh-huh. literally days before the, the, the lockdown orders yeah. were put into place, um, I also got the call about uh, doing All Stars Six, like we were in the dressing room talking yes. about these things, and so we were like, "How are we going to go into this lockdown if I'm supposed to go and film an entire season of Drag Race, which ended up getting pushed back a couple of like it was just crazy <clears throat> and uncertain." And, and basically, the only reason we're talking about this is because we know you can all relate to us on a visceral <laughs> level. Again, though, think about how much how much great work, even with costuming, came out of that because of that lockdown period with, between mm-hmm. you and Gidget. It was fantastic. I, I, it made me so proud to watch the two of you sort of thrive and bloom in a in such a desolate atmosphere. It was great. Well, we had about two days of panic and uh, maybe another day of like depression, and we went, okay, well, what are we going to do? Because we still have bills to pay. We uh-huh. still have to figure out how we're going to uh, fund the entirety of our season. And for those of you who um, who are just kind of like a passing fancy with the TV Land Live, you don't really know the ins and outs of it, which will be most of you. Um, a lot of ticket holders have questioned, like, hey, where did, like, a girl, I'm not trying to call you out, but where did all of the funds go from the season tickets? Well, we have 
six shows worth of, of costumes and props and mm-hmm. sets and all this that have been in storage for two years. And that storage unit is a couple hundred bucks a month to be able to fit everything into there. So we were seeing all of all of the money that we had banked for these shows. Not only had we spent them on the shows, like we were raring and ready to do them, but now we're, we've been dusting off the cobwebs after two years because they've been sitting in storage. Nobody would ask those questions if they ever saw Gidget's living room with a gigantic <laughs> fake harp sitting in it. You've got monsters in Gilligan's Island and you've got foreheads of, door, of Golden Girls wigs in the corner. I don't bless her soul. She's never gotten, she's never reclaimed her living room. No, it's her living room and my my two-car garage is full of, of Golden Girls curtains and chairs and all the wicker and rattan furniture you could ever imagine. <laughs> so it's like we were we were watching the funds being taken out every month for storage and, and all of that and and for also like paying off the, the things that we bought because we were like, we're going to really invest and make our shows great. And we saw all of those funds dwindling and we were like, how are we going to make money to continue to store these things and pay them off so we just jumped right in like we went to the garage cleared it out hung some red curtains and said all right we're doing digital shows (laughs) and we were churning out three brand new shows every single week (laughs) out of shit in the garage Oh wait! To tell because I didn't know, I did not know this about you until we were doing Gilligan's Island and you were discussing it. Tell the audience about what was going on from the waist down. Like I had no idea. You were like, I would st- go ahead, go ahead. I'll let you. Oh so, well, Gidget, she will use any excuse in the world to not wear hip pads and butt pads or to. Yeah. She she just doesn't like it. I know a lot of queens who do not like that part of drag, but to me, the hip pads are really what kind of make me feel like I am a woman and I am ready to tackle the world. So she <laughs> she would come in in sweatpants from the waist down in slippers and I'd still be there completely tucked and cinched, padded, three pairs of tights with with stilettos on. Because that's what I needed to make me like feel the fantasy. Yeah, I don't know what your confidentiality agreement is, but I think we all know that's what's going on with RuPaul too. well there's been enough people talking about it in recent seasons i think it's safe to say everybody knows that rue once she finishes walking down the runway and strikes her pose she changes she takes off the corset she untouches she puts on her her old navy sweatpants and her old navy hoodie and i don't think that there's anything wrong with that oh no of course no 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 of course not but it's just not what makes me feel ready you know what i mean like and i was dousing myself in bottles of perfume and she's like i'm the only one that can smell you i'm like it doesn't matter i want to feel my fantasy yeah yeah i get it (laughs) even if we're singing and dancing with puppets in a garage i get it now may i ask you a personal question uh-huh. I was listening to your interview with adrian and uh i did not realize that you identify as non-binary I do. I do. And I have for a while. I mean, I guess my whole life I have, but I never really knew the terminology for it. I had to sit down and think about that for a hot minute. And I guess I do as well. 
yeah. I guess that's I guess that's who I am as well. It's you know, and uh, and I'm old enough that in our lifetime it was uh, this is before not before trans people were uh, were around, but certainly before there was this, uh, the, this understanding that trans people have today. And I do not. I'm cisgendered in no way. Do I would I say that I'm trans because I, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, <laughs> but. Um, but non-binary was the when I really started thinking about that yesterday, was the first time I had really thought like, yeah, I guess I, if you if you have to put me on a spectrum somewhere, I guess that's where I'm at as well. Yeah, or spectrum cable is also a good alternative. <laughs> oh yeah, well yeah, anything but Time Warner. Yeah, but I did. I had to sit and think about it because you know I I'm an old school girl. I've been doing this for seventeen years now. I think seventeen years in drag at this point that's horrible well but i also i learned from a lot of the old school pageant girls so my whole mentality for a long time was was stuck in that little box yeah and whenever i started hearing things like pansexual and non-binary and this that and the other thing me like a lot of people that Mm -hmm. are my age and older were sitting there going oh this is just ridiculous oh my gosh there's got to be a term for everything just be you and then i sat and i really thought about it and i was like oh okay this makes so much sense because i have always felt not like a woman but like Mm -hmm. a mother Mm -hmm. um i've never felt particularly like a man but I do enjoy the masculine aspects of my personality. Yeah, yeah, I feel exactly the same way. Like I've, I was always a mama's boy. I was very, very close to mama, but my, uh, but I am uh, by and large the spitting image of my father. Mm-hmm. And a lot of ways, both of my parents had the most incredible senses of humor and just sick, dirty senses of humor, which is completely where I've adopted all of that. And so uh, over the years, I've. Uh, I've had to, and this is this goes. I have a twin brother and an older brother, who have also uh, um, who have also acknowledged this. That you know, I I always sort of took after mom um, mentally in some ways because I was very close with mom, and but um, but then as I got older, I um, I started taking after. It's the bottom line is that the, the, uh, one of the most beautiful things now that my parents have passed is. Uh, especially as I get older, is that in the morning if I'm shaving or getting you know brushing my teeth or whatever, I can look in. Especially when I'm super tired, and I look into that mirror and see both of my parents looking back at me, and mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's also very reflective in the way that I behave, good, bad, and ugly. But um, some of the finest, uh, some of, uh, some of my better qualities, and there's only a few, but they they came from both of the from both. Uh, the, the feminine and the masculine mm-hmm. um, and also because my parents just did not care they didn't give a shit they, yeah. uh, when it came to that they were just happy that I was who I was yeah, was well, and happy. I never had that relationship with my father, which has always been, uh, it was it was kind of a, a curveball as I was getting older and I started to look less like my mother and more like my father. <laughs> and I started to, like, I, I would look into the mirror and see my dad looking back and it it gave me panic attacks. It's, it's, yeah. 
Yeah. And you like, I would be sitting on the couch and I remember my dad, when I was growing up, he would lay on the couch with his ankles crossed, like tapping his, his toes and twirling his hair and his finger. And honestly, that's why I shave all of this off now because my mom pointed out that I was doing that one day and it hurt me so bad because when I was growing up, we did not have a good relationship and all I wanted was to grow up and be a better man and a better father than yeah. he ever was. And we, we've certainly uh, grown to appreciate each other. Yeah. And we're in an okay place now, so I don't panic when I look in the mirror. Yeah. But there were some years where I was like, oh, shit, this is not where I saw myself going. <laughs> It's a, a big surprise. You'll find out, though, as you get older, because I am a, a, several years older than you, you'll find as you get older, those little, those um, those subtle nuances will help give you some insight into who both of your parents were, especially mm-hmm. when they were your age. Yeah. Uh, like, and I certainly, I understand him a lot more. Even if I don't appreciate or agree with the things that he did or the choices he made, I certainly understand them on a more visceral level now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No villains. Everybody, like my parents, my father said to me once when I I was raising hell at him for something. And he said, don't you, don't you boys understand that uh, we were kids too. We did the best we could. And I thought, Oh, well, of course, because when my parents, when my parents were my age, they had uh, what a 13 year old and two, six year olds and a house paid yeah. for and uh, because you know times were different that's back when you could uh, when you could build a house for six thousand dollars <laughs> <laughs> well i'm sure you still could i just wouldn't spend the night there <laughs> yeah no I, I just rent it out at super eight <laughs> waiting on a tax return hopefully it ends up in your hands fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30 percent in 2023 if you're in a bind this tax season lifelock can help Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Well, I I think it's so interesting that you bring up this there are no villains thing. And And it's because when I sat down to write my book you know my book is coming out later this year and it's all of my life story peppered in with recipes that kind of shaped my life from people that that really meant a lot to me and when i was sitting down with my writing partner um she was like you know i've done all this research on you i've watched all these episodes of drag race i've listened to to your story i really feel like i know you and i said what the one important thing i want you to take from this conversation is that my father is not a villain and I feel like Drag Race really portrayed him that way because Drag Race is reality television. So well, it, it yeah, boils everything down. Yeah, it's yeah got- it, it really boils everything down to like the the essence of what it is without yeah. the nuance. And I said, my father made a lot of bad choices and it took me a very long time to come to terms with those. But I also don't want him to be a villain in my story because I feel like I probably wouldn't be who I am with, with the heart that I have and, and the morals that I have without him. 
Mm-hmm. So it's been a really interesting fine line to walk while we're writing this book, the story of my life, reliving all of these traumas, but also coming through with a greater understanding of everybody involved. I, I just want to say to the listeners that after your first after your first season of Drag Race, uh, when you were putting together crossdresser for christ an off-broadway show mm-hmm. and you and i were, were writing together that was the f- like i'd known who you were for several years and and we were tight and close that sort of thing but i just remember sitting on your porch and you sort of laying out the hilarious stories about your mother your father the other woman and how everyone's all tight like this this whole relationship between your mother and uh, well anyway yeah and hearing you hearing you sort of lay out the the story of your life i found um a, I found completely fascinating, and B, because I'm also a Southern queen, I found so much of it so incredibly relatable. Uh huh. When well, it's so weird because you talk to people who aren't from the South and don't yeah. understand those family dynamics, uh-huh. and they go, "This is untrue. None of this happened. Uh-huh. This is bullshit." I was like, "Oh, this happened and more." Yeah, yeah. But like, you barely believe this happened, so I'm not even going to tell you about the crazy it's shit. That, it's that line from Designing Women where she said something to the effect of, "You know, uh, Southern." don't hide their crazy people. We parade them around, put them on the front porch. That's just, uh-uh. No, we're not, we're not the Yankees. We don't hide it. They're not, they're not crazy. They're eccentric. Exactly. Everybody's got demons, girl. We just, we dress them up. Um, speaking of dressing up, I know we have gotten, we haven't even started our actual interview yet. This has just been our pre-conversation. Which this is how so I lovely. am. I'm sorry. Tangents. 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 I'm sorry. Yeah. Me too. I'm Tangina. Like, uh, yes. I that, totally go on tangents all the time. Into the light. So, just a quick Reader's Digest version for everybody listening right now. Um, Just to get to know you a little bit better, kind of tell us about Divine Grace. Uh, Actress, authoress, activist, and asshole. That's how I always... uh, uh, Divine Grace is, uh, as of Thanksgiving this year, will be 30 years old. Look at how far I've gotten. (laughs) 30 years ago, this this coming Thanksgiving, uh, I started started drag but I, I I shouldn't um I shouldn't even say that because it was it was longer than that I uh my drag career started uh like most people of my age with Rocky Horror Picture Show okay uh, I got that bug it I started doing floor shows for Rocky Horror at like 15 and um and it wasn't like I it wasn't the the uh so much the transvestism or, or makeup or any of that. It's, I love an anti-hero. Uh, and, you know, I've always been into that sort of Frankenfurter, Ursula, yeah. that sort of type. And then um, when, I, when I got into, uh, I spent my senior year of high school at the North Carolina School of the Arts. So it was basically boarding school, uh, college prep. And, uh, now I'm surrounded by all these actor, singer, dancer types, and I was going home. Uh, there was a a group of us that were going into Asheville. I'm from Asheville, North Carolina. We were in Winston Salem, about three hours away, and um, I had just started going to uh, to gay bars. It was very exotic, and I saw my first drag show and thought, you know what, I could do that. Let's give it a shot. And they were having a talent show. And, uh, and I thought, you know what, let's do this like full tilt boogie. So I got, um, 
I, there was a, literally my first drag number I did of Bette Midler's Big Noise from Lynetka, which is this old disco number with a big monologue. And I had a down pat, and uh, I had like three guys carry me in on a platter, and three harlots. Like they did, they, this is before everyone was actually doing production numbers, sort of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, <laughs> we drive three hours up, full costume, and get to the front door. And the the guy at the front the the guy at the front door says, "So, what? Why are you guys all dressed up?" And I'm like, "We're here for the talent show." And he says, "Oh, we moved that to last week." <laughs> And I'm like, are you kidding? Like, we just drove three hours. And he's like, well, and it turned out to be the owner, Art Fryer of Scandals, Asheville, North Carolina. And he's like, are you any good? And we were like, oh, we think we are. And he said, all right, well, we'll give you a number. So we all filed into the dressing room. Now, mind you, I didn't know a, a, not one thing about drag makeup or any. I, my hair at the time was shoulder length. I had it all piled up. And... um. Uh, was wearing liquid foundation. Do you remember that? Oh, uh, yes. Liquid foundation, so I looked like I'd gone bobbing for french fries at McDonald's. <laughs> all of these older queens were like, girl, honey, cover. this was the first time I ever heard, cover girl does not cover boy. Sit down. And so they're, they're powdering and da-da-da-da. And this is just minutes before the show. I was using water balloons as tits at the time <laughs> because they had a great jiggle. Uh, there was no, thank God, there was no, you know, any water damage. And um, we came out and did the number and got this huge ovation. And um, the owner came backstage and said, when can you start? And I said, well, I can't really start right now. I'm in college or in high school. I'm going to school of the arts. And he said, well, uh, are you coming home for, for summer? Are you home for the summers? And I said, yeah. And that's how I started my career was that I would do summer gigs at this nightclub in Asheville. And then my, uh, my freshman, oh, I'm sorry. Then at the school of the arts, I became prom queen <laughs> and homecoming queen. And yeah, then, see, but, I'm jealous because you've actually won crowns. I, that, that, I mean, all right, so let's just talk about that for a second. I'm not a pageant queen. Like, I really, I've always wanted to get invested into the comedy queen pageant circuit because I think the the work there is so fine. They do such mm-hmm. good work. But, and, you know, when I first started looking into that, I don't know, six, seven years ago, I thought, you know what? I, I, it's going to take some money. It's going to take some hard work. Da, da, da. Now I won't do it because I'm like, I can't top any of these girls. Like, it's gotten so out of hand. It's gotten so, they've gotten so good uh, with that pageant system. But, it's you know, it's, I, it's uh, yeah. I'll take I, a Cialis, girl. I'm sure they'll all let you top them at some point. <laughs> Um, So this is a good segue. This is a good thing. Okay, so Comedy Queen, the very first time that I saw you perform B. Arthur was at the Miss Comedy Queen pageant. You had joined Bridget Galore, and her not Gidget, but Gidget's sister Bridget Mm -hmm. uh, was doing this Madam. And for those of you who don't know, Madam was this this puppet. It was Waylon and Madam, and she was foul-mouthed, and this old lady, and so fabulous. Mm -hmm. Um, And she was doing kind of a live version of that. And you came out as B. Arthur, and everybody, including me and Gidget Galore, is sitting there, our jaws just dropped, because we were like, holy (laughs) shit, this is B. Arthur, Back from the dead, waltz, waltzing onto the stage. <laughs> now, 
how long have you been doing B. Arthur as a character? We all know this answer. <laughs> Every Saturday since Every Saturday night, since nineteen eighty five. No, I um uh on uh, when uh, the hamburger Marys in Orlando. I probably six or seven years ago was have it was really hard for them to find a niche on Thursday nights, mm-hmm. and a local uh, drag comedian, Carol Lee had come to uh, the owner, John, and said, hey, I have an idea. Let's try this game show, which was called Seen It. It was big in the 90s, and it was a DVD game show. I remember that. You'd put in a video, watch a scene, and then you would get questions on what color were the drapes or who said this line or this, that, and the other. And so Carolee had this idea, oh, let's do that, but with, like, Golden Girls and Designing Women and, and Facts of Life and stuff like that. And it's much like drag bingo, where uh, the the joke isn't or the the fun isn't so much the game show as it is just the banter in between. You know how yes. it is. Yeah. And uh, so our first was was Golden Girls, and she she said, "You come as Dorothy, and I'll I'll come as Rose." And I was oh okay. So I stitched together something with enormous shoulder pads and with a, you know, a turtle. I, I put together a Vulcan outfit because that's how she dressed. <laughs> and then uh, I had a, a gray wig and I teased that out. And then I went to do, I went to do the, the makeup. And I try when I'm playing a character like that, I try to do uh, stage makeup in the sense that like, I'm not just going to do old lady makeup. It's I try to re- reshape my face. Like if I'm doing Bette Midler, I'm not going to uh, skinny down my nose. I'm going yeah. to make it look thin at top and big in the bottom, that sort of thing. And uh, and for me, the easiest way to do that is to find a caricature drawing of the person and then see what they've accentuated and do that. And that's where I learned the jowls, which if uh-huh. you close up on it, doesn't I look like droopy dog. <laughs> but... But from a distance, from a distance, it works. Anyway, I put it together and I stood back from the mirror like I was getting ready to go out, and and I took a selfie, which is on my Facebook page. It's still highlighted. They're going like, "Oh, shit! I pulled that off." Yeah. And I came in to do it, and people were like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> oh my god! It was not until when we were doing um when we were doing the read for, read through for the first Golden Girls. Mm-hmm. Golden Gals, that uh, you know, when Adrian turned around that day and it was like, "Oh my God, how long have you been rehearsing this?" That was that was, I was realizing that I had the voice for it the same time he did. Yeah, I'd, I'd looked like her before, but I'd never impersonated her vocally. So, say for instance, I were to be on the Snatch Game, people, you know, if they if they know me well enough, they they connect me so much with Bette Midler, they would assume that I would do. Bette Midler, but what can you do with Bette Midler if you don't, you know what I mean? Like, she's well, which is why we haven't gotten a Bette Midler, why we haven't gotten a Judy Garland. Mm-hmm. Yes, they are icons, absolutely, and they are staples in the drag community, but it's very difficult to take their personalities and make them funny in something like the Snatch Game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Before before I got my my claws into B. Arthur, I had I had I actually made it to Drag Race and been on. I was going to do Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> Talking all. 
<laughs> so I, what I love about you is you, you of course, are a drag dress like everybody else in our troupe, but you're also one of the most brilliant mimics that I've ever seen. So, like, your, you. your characters that you do are so spot on. The movements, the look, the voice, the like, literally every little mannerism and nuance you have for Bette Midler, for B. Arthur, and now for Thurston Howell uh, <laughs> III in Gilligan's <laughs> Island. It's like, every time I've seen you take on a character, you really do the work, more so than I think most other people do. I, I I appreciate. I got like I said. I got my degree in theater. And I I got it at a good uh, at a good university, and uh, and I was certain that was how I was going to spend the rest of my life. And I am certain that's how I'm going to spend the rest of my life. It's uh, I really I've never not been on stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, like two nights ago, I was doing the dishes and a song, um, <laughs> a song popped into my head. Everybody says, "Stop clowning around! Stop clowning around! Stop clowning around!" Every every single day, people scream at me and say, "Please, please, please!" Anyway, five years old, kindergarten. Uh huh. And at forty seven, that came echoing back to me. But I remember being on that stage and watching people crack up because I was this, I was this young gay, really effeminate. Like I was, you know, country kid and everyone just, that's before you were a pervert when it was just, isn't he adorable? And, uh, and I, I, I never recovered from that. I've still never recovered from that. And it's, um, I enjoy uh, serious dramatic acting. I really do. And that's a side of me that I don't think, uh, most people get to, they, you know, nobody, no, nobody gets to see that. But then again, nobody wants to see me playing Romeo. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but again, you know what you mean because we are clowns at the end of the day. Uh, I mean, that's we fill that role of lots of makeup, lots of hair. We're gonna make you laugh. And, and shoes. Like I, I tell people when they when I say that, and anytime I say, I'm like, what do you do for a living? I'm a clown. I've had so many people say to me, don't say that. Don't depreciate what you do. It's more than that. And I said, no, no, no. I put on crazy hair, crazy makeup, big shoes, and a weird outfit and make people laugh. And for me, clown is a perfectly noble profession. Oh, absolutely. Before every show, before we go on, every single show, I take a moment to pray. And Mm -hmm. I used to pray please don't let me screw up or please don't let me drop a line or please don't let me fall down on these shoes or whatever. And that never worked. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then I realized I was praying for all the wrong things. And so now I say a prayer before I go on, like, please let me just make these people, uh, uh, let me leave them happier than I found them. Let them laugh and forget for a minute that they've got things going on in their life. And I swear to you, I know that sounds so cheesy and over the top, but I swear to you that's exactly why I do what I do. No, I I completely agree with that. It doesn't sound cheesy or over the top to me at all. Um, I've always felt that way. I said in my book um, and in many other interviews my, one of the things my grandmother always said was whenever you are given something, no matter what it is, you take it and you love it and you nurture it and then you give it back in a better mm-hmm. condition than you received mm-hmm. it. So mm-hmm. that's basically the same thing. Like you want to take these people that are giving you their time and you want to give them the most wonderful experience ever so that when they leave, they're happy and they're smiling it's and they can right. forget the bull- and 
there's that people don't understand there's so much power in that mm-hmm. there's uh it's uh, one of the reasons that i was uh, that i even since i was very little one of the reasons i was so attracted to bet midler was um you know, it's like, especially growing up in the '80s, everyone knew her when she was, the, you know, the highest-paid actress in Hollywood. But she was this, you know, screaming, yelling, and she was always this really over-the-top character sort of thing. Um, if if people, had, if, my generation had just missed the part where she was doing a lot of live shows, and what I love uh, and to this day love most about Ben Midler is her ability to, uh, when left to her own devices. To, uh, to have everybody in stitches and then on a dime have them in tears yeah. and that, that manipulation of the audience is is um, it, manipulation sounds like a harsh word but it's the ability to take people on a uh, on a roller coaster ride for two hours and by the end of the show they've they have laughed and cried and sort of emptied it all out yeah. you leave one of those concerts or one of the yeah, and you know several performers who were like that walking out, and you almost feel exhausted after the show because you've gone through the game. like cathartic all yeah. at the same time. I no, I totally get that. Absolutely, there's a, several people that I've seen be able to do that, and and that's kind of what we strive for with our TV Land live shows. Because like one of the big things that we got um, after Roseanne live was uh, a lot of people going. It was hysterical, but I had no idea it was going to be so serious. And people were crying because we dealt with, just like the original television show, we dealt with real life, everyday shit that people go through. So I've always found it very um, therapeutic to be able to just kind of go on stage with an open heart and kind of relate to people. I mean, that's that's where I approach performance on every level is just kind yeah, of... Yeah, oh, you do, and you do. Up. And, and just being like, this is me, and I really hope that you can get something from it. Yeah. And maybe you'll, you'll teach me a little bit about myself when I see it reflected in you. Well, um, there, it, there, there are so many, especially um, now that there's this, you know, this drag explosion over the last few years with drag race and whatnot. And, and honestly, thank God for RuPaul for uh, reinvigorating drag for the second time in my life from taking <laughs> drag out of the, the nightclubs and putting it into a more socio-political aspect, which has been great. Um, because I remember, I mean, I remember right before Drag Race, um, do, I was in an off-Broadway drag show and then stepped across the street in full drag to a gay bar and was getting dirty looks from these, you know, these pinky raised muscle queens because I was in drag, yeah. and uh, not so much anymore. So it's it, that's been invigorating. But um, there's also um, there's so, uh, sometimes with especially, and I'm not poo pooing the young girls at all, but there's something missed when you're focusing on death drops rather than. Um, Rather than I don't want to say the material because there's only something Britney Spears, but um, but you know what I'm saying. You and and, and I'm a theater queen. I'm an, and, and people I think will always see my my drag as she's an old theater queen, and I am fine with. I can't do what these kids can do anymore, and I couldn't do it when I was a kid. Uh, I just I bring something. I bring what I bring to the table. That's all I can. Which I think everybody should strive to be 
different. And that's one of the, the biggest, when, when new girls come to me and they're like, what, what suggestions do you have? I'm like, first of all, you need a good foundation. Cause just uh, like a house, if it's uh-huh. cracked, you're going to crumble. Uh-huh. But second of all, you've got to find what it, what inside of you is the gift that you can give to the rest of the world. And you have to focus on that. Mm-hmm. You can't look at TV or go on Instagram and say, this is successful and this is what I like. So this is who I am. No, you can take aspects from here, there and everywhere. I've done that for the last 17 years. I've taken aspects from everybody that I love pieces of it, but it's all held together by who I am in my core. And it took me a really long time to be comfortable enough to share that with the world. That's it's funny. You say that though, because ever since I remember the very first time I ever saw you perform and this has been what eight, almost nine years ago. And um, so I've known you pre-drag race. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you were, and you were hitting your stride in Orlando very well. Uh, that was the reason that we went to, to Broadway brunch was like, Oh, you have to see ginger. You've got to see ginger do, host this show. She's the best part of the show. She said, the show was great, but they were like, you're, you're going to see ginger. And you know, everybody in Orlando was saying the same thing. Like this girl's going places. And now you've gone to all the places, <laughs> all of them, <laughs> but I always come home. You sure do. You sure do. And everybody in, uh, I think, uh, the, all the, the local queens, all these local girls get it that that the beauty of it was, now I've seen you, I've seen, um, I've seen how you've changed as well because the business of show became a legitimate business. When, uh, when drag was your business, it was one thing. When Ginger Minge became your business, uh, because you are, for all intents and purposes, a a corporation at this point, then, uh, but I love that you never stopped being Joshua. I love that you never, that you never got, I mean, you're, you're always ginger, but I love that you never stopped being the, the, the person that I met. Um, You just got better at it. And I, bravo, we're all real proud of you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And my whole intention of going off and, and doing drag race and trying to open more doors for myself was so that I could take all of the people that I loved and respected from home by the hand and lead them through those doors. And, and you said that before you got on the show. And let me tell you, when we're when when they're lining up for that meet and greet after a show, I know they're not like I am. I cannot wait to see Divine Grace. <laughs> I just don't know. Uh, we know why they're there, but if you can get their butts in the seats so I can show them what I can do, I'm good too. I'm good. But I also, I also think that it may have started that way when we <laughs> first began doing our shows, but now we've all got just like the <laughs> the real Golden Girls. We all got our devoted fan bases. So there are people who are there for Ginger Minch, but there are also people there for Blanche. Yeah. There are people that are there for Dorothy, but also there for. Dem- Divine Grace, like it's been it's really been, fun. It's been uh, for, uh, for me specifically from the outside. Or I shouldn't say from the outside looking in, but from from the from backstage looking out, it's been so much fun seeing this for uh, for Adrian, for Gidget, and for Doug as as well because. Um, uh, this is a plat- uh, TV Land Live specifically has been a great platform, and you, uh, you, uh, you and produ- uh, producers have worked really hard to make sure that 
that everyone gets showcased. And I'm really, uh, really proud of that. Like, who would have thought Adrian is Gilligan? <laughs> I mean, and he, and, and, uh, he shot everyone that I talked to was like, oh my god he had so much energy he's got this he nailed it and yeah our goal like we said with adrian on on the last episode our goal is never to impersonate the people to impersonate the characters it's to kind of grab that essence of them and give you the things that you expect but also kind of re-examine it through who we are and through our queer lens and and i think that adrian as gilligan in gilligan's island is a perfect example of that because it she gave you enough of, of what you expected, but also something really new and fresh and something yeah, really hard. But, but Doug Bowser as, as Skipper too, I mean, there were moments where I forget, you know, I know, I know Doug is an, uh, he's an accomplished actor and he does well. It's sometimes that I forget. Even Doug remembers slapstick. Uh-huh. He, to have an anchor drop on his foot and scream exactly the right way and where to tilt his head and find his light. So, uh, and I, I love that. I, I, I love that when we go into these shows, I always feel like I'm working with a group of professionals. And, and I am. Like, these are, you know, we're all, we're all drag, you know, drag actresses, so. Mm-hmm. And I also love that we've, I've never once felt scared panicked or uncomfortable on stage with anybody in our group because i know that if something goes wrong which it inevitably does all the time we're all going to be there to pick it up and run and usually it's those little fuck-ups that people go away talking about oh my god did you see that it was so funny uh we i I remember when when we first started doing golden gals um because we had, like you've already said on, on previous episodes, it's hit the ground running. And then by the last rehearsal, we've, um, where everyone's getting comfortable enough to throw out a line. Uh, some of those get kept, some of those not so much. But I always tell people if you're coming to see the show, catch the very last show of the run because that's when everybody just says, well, they've bought their tickets. They can't hurt us now. And, <laughs> and when you like Doug Bowser left to his own devices, forget it. Oh my gosh. Forget it. But it's also um, watching like there've been a couple instances in golden gals and even with, with Gillian's to watch, uh, when because during rehearsals you're not used to holding for laughter or holding for um, a, a pregnant pause with the audience. Watching you crack up, I mean, all of this reminds <laughs> me of what it must have been like to be a cast member on the Carol Burnett show. Yes, where everyone's having such a and we do have a really good time doing this, and it's infectious. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's so fun. And you talked about how we showcase everybody. So Roseanne was kind of like my showcase for the season. Uh-huh. Gilligan's Island was the showcase for Doug and Adrian as Gilligan and the Skipper. And yours is coming up with the Munsters. You'll be playing Herman Munster, <laughs> which I, I was so excited about. Bette Midler, B. Arthur, Herman Munster. I do all of the attractive ladies. Well, yeah, you, 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 you really are going for sex goddess. That is, um, that if I, if I had been left to my own devices, if you come to me and said, okay, Divine, what part do you want in the monsters? That would have been it. That yeah. it, it would have been Herman, not because he's the lead, which thank you. That's nice. But, but, um, but, 
I, it is um, there. There's a shtick there that I understand. I think you you know I understand. Oh, yeah. Sort of like uh, it's not quite vaudeville, but it's what happened to these vaudeville actors sometime in the sixties. <laughs> exactly. And, and I and I don't know what it is about my genetic makeup that I understand that, but I I connect with a very specific period of American theater, and that's part of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that one's gonna be so good, and that is in uh, October at the Claremont that's Performing great. Arts Center, and then after that, we're 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 tossing around I Love Lucy, Designing Women, The oh, Nanny. Uh, 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 Barney Miller, Matlock, <laughs> Andy Griffith. Yeah, Andy Griffith. So that one's out. <laughs> uh, so I know we're like totally running over time, but I'm going to keep you for a couple more minutes because I want to know. Like, we've talked a lot about what we do together yes. and kind of where you started, but a lot of people might not know that you are a very accomplished comedy writer working for the likes of the one and only Lady Bunny. Mm hmm. And when you first told me that, the very first time I met you, I was like, oh, I'm sure she's friends with Lady Bunny, whatever. The very first time I met Lady Bunny, she goes, I hear you're friends with Chad Pace. Isn't she such a fag? <laughs> like, oh my gosh, you do know her. And then once we started to get to know each other more and more, that's why I, I asked you to write uh, the original Crossdresser for Christ with me because I started to realize, like, no comedian can do it on their own. None of them. Not, not even the greatest ones in the world. Not you need somebody to bounce it off of. Mm. And I just find that um, the way you kind of gestate all of these jokes that are hurled at you and then you spit them back up as something funny but also really intelligent is, is something that is very, very um, rare in the comedy world. I have found uh, um, sometime in the last 15 years or so, I have really found myself uh, finding great solace in writing. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Writing uh, uh, for a local newspaper and um, uh, for Watermark. We'll say the Watermark. So if you're listening to this right now, make sure you go to watermarkonline.com and vote for the Central Florida Watermark Wave Awards because for the third year in a row, um, we (laughs) are nominated for Best Theatrical Performance for the Golden Gals Live, which we won the last two years, so we'd like to win again. Um, we're, We're nominated all over the place. So make sure you go check that out. It'll be on and super exciting. I have uh, been doing that. Uh, Facebook, turn, uh, not Facebook. I'm sorry, MySpace. Actually, started started off my blogging career, and it was, uh, it was. I was. I decided. Well, what am I going to write about? Nobody wants just to hear blah blah blah. So I, I, I started out writing movie reviews only for movies that I absolutely hated. <laughs> I do my best work when I'm angry, sort of thing, and that. Turned, uh, that really gave Divine Grace a voice, and so it, it, I did several years of every award ceremony, the Grammys, the Golden Globes, the Oscars, where I do a live play-by-play, and that got so much traction that um, uh, Frank DeCaro had a, a show on Sirius uh, Satellite XM, and he and he asked me and Lady Bunny and Flotilla DeBarge to do a, um, an Oscar commentary, and then I started writing these hideous open letters to people like Kim Kardashian, who, by the way, responded. She wasn't real happy. <laughs> 
I've written all these these hideous open letters that were ended up being. I read a, a, a when uh, Elton John had given a, a had been paid a million dollars by Rush Limbaugh to perform at his wedding. I wrote something just awful about that, and that got all this traction. And Michael uh, Michelangelo Cingarelli was was reading it out loud on the show. It was I, it picked up. My voice though <clears throat> is changing in such a way that it's becoming more and more difficult for me to write for other people because of how I construct a joke and if it, if um, because I uh, uh, the um, the crux of much of my material is in its alliteration and how it's how the how the joke is uh, is constructed not so much the punchline so yeah. I'm closer to a John Oliver or a, even a Dennis Miller than I am say like a you know like a uh, Bob Saget, well, that and the pulse. But you know what I mean, right? And and I I, I work blue, and I I, I work uh, from I don't want to say from a place of anger, but like when I got this gig with Watermark, uh, uh, the the editor at the time may rest in peace, Billy Main said, uh, I have two caveats for you to get this job. One is that you write as divine grace and two, that you only write about things that piss you off. And that's where I do some of my best work. It's just hateful, nasty. But I also think that's so relatable because a lot of times it's, it's always to me, it's in my experience, it is better that when you are angry to find the humor in it yeah. so that you can laugh at it and not get bogged down in how yeah. emotionally draining it is and how pissed off you are. Mm-hmm. And I think, that it's very therapeutic that way, even just to read it from somebody else's experience. I think that's why it's caught on so well. And of course, that's why Lady Bunny loves it. Well, it's getting more difficult because everyone's so fucking sensitive. Like, it's literally, it's like, I, I made a, a joke the other day about a, a celebrity had passed. And of course, that when you do that, especially when you have a large enough following, it's going to hit uh, enough people the wrong way. But it's, you know, you have to tell, I don't understand why people, you know, it's like you're complaining about me making a joke about meatloaf, but you didn't have a problem with me making fun of, you know, Sarah Palin or whoever. So uh, it's, uh, insult comedy is a a double-edged sword, uh, uh, of which the, uh, the only person I've seen really get it down Pat since uh, since Don Rickles and Joan Rivers is Bianca Del Rio, mm-hmm. and I can't even still I can't imagine the amount of hate mail that she that she gets too. I wish that people understood though that it is not really coming from a place of of anger or hate or any of that. It's just trying to turn chicken shit into chicken salad. Exactly. It's, yeah, it's just like yeah. You just want to you want to laugh about it. You want to poke fun at something that isn't funny so yeah. that everybody can, it takes the tension off yeah yeah no i totally get that um so before we go i want to ask you four questions that i ask all of our guests yes ma'am number one what is the worst performance you have ever given in drag the one you're most embarrassed by Oh, I wouldn't even know where to start. <laughs> no, I've had, I've had, I've had, uh, oh, well, I'll, I'll tell you, I think my crowning achievement was back in my 20s when I was still young enough to pull something like this off. It was, I wasn't wearing hip pads. Uh, you know, I was tucked in a pair of underwears and, uh, and, and, and a pair of pantyhose. And <laughs> I'm, I'm down on my knees, shaking my skirt, leaning back, and the audience, uh, 
went into this riotous laugh, and I thought, I, I, I was doing your love keeps lifting me higher. And I was like, there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing funny about this song. And then um, I got backstage, and I was like, well, they, and I got tipped really well. But I was like, hey, well, I don't know what that was all about. And they're like, girl, your testicles hanging out. <laughs> In front of the, in front of an audience, that and um, I remember once doing impersonating Linda Blair in The Exorcist. To uh, I can't remember what song I was doing, but I remember thinking it was absolutely hilarious and looking out to an audience. The entire audience was stone stone faced, sober, <laughs> looking at me like this bitch has clearly lost her mind. They weren't ready. So uh, no, I know that's I, I've got too many to tell. Uh, comedy is subjective, though, and what makes one person laugh is going to confuse and piss off somebody <laughs> else. I have learned that. Mm-hmm. Uh, second question, mm-hmm. what is the performance you are most proud of? Uh, opening night of the first run of Golden Gals. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I had just lost my mother, just put her in the ground, and immediately got on a plane and came into rehearsals. I was not in a good space. But um, but my both of my parents had really um, that was a ritual in the eighties when we were kids on Saturday nights was fast food and the Golden Girls, mm-hmm. and I could uh, during the uh, curtain call I started sobbing because it was literally like I got to send Mama off. I knew she was watching. I knew that she was like, "Oh, there we go." And it was it, uh, and that moment, um, my mother's death. When I think of my mother's passing that will forever be linked with the happiest moment I ever had in my theatrical drag career, period. I have a very similar thing. You know, the you night and before I put, we open, yep. my grandmother, we put her in the ground because she had passed yep. away the, like the, almost the same day that your mom had passed away. Yep. And it was rough. We didn't know if we were going to be able to open the show because neither one of us were kind of there, yep. well, physically or mentally. And it just happened. And I, I know just exactly what you're saying. It's like, oh, my gosh, this is mm-hmm. therapy. This is exactly what I needed when I needed it. Yeah, happiest moment I've ever had in drag. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Uh, so question number three, what is your definition of a local queen? Oh, um, well, that's changed over the years because uh, because uh, local queen to me would, would – um, Nowadays would have meant Gidget, would have meant Adrian, would have meant now Doug as well. Now local queen means you, too. So it's uh, I think people forget when when they're talking about. I, I think there's a local versus drag race thing that people like to bring up, and I understand that because of booking issues and and it sometimes is a struggle to get a booking when when a bar is telling you we can't pay you more than $50, we just don't have it in the budget, and $6,000 later, you have Victoria Parker on stage. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of that sort of thing, but uh, so people, the, I, I don't, um, a local queen is a hometown girl. That's how I look at it. And uh, you, for a hometown girl, we have our Gidget Galores, and we have our Adrians, and we have our uh, Ginger Menges, and we have our uh, Roxy Andrews. And uh, do we still have Tyra Sanchez? <laughs> no, I think she's in Atlanta now. Can I? Is it safe for me to say that? Or is, do I need to call her a bomb squad? I'm sure she's not listening, girl. Do I need to call a bomb squad? 
<laughs> oh, I was there that day. That was that was stressful. It was a stressful day. Um, uh, so I, I totally agree with what you're saying. Like I've always said, when I am yes, I am a drag race girl. I travel the world. I do. I've done movies and TV and all that kind of stuff, and that's great. But when I'm home. I'm still a local queen. I'm still rolling my suitcase over the railroad tracks for 50 bucks. And yes. Yeah. You're a hometown, you're a hometown girl. Yeah. That's, and local queens, I really, everybody within the sound of, of our voices, I hope they'll understand, please do uh, support those girls as well. Like pay attention to those girls because they mm-hmm. are your next drag race girls. Absolutely. And and now the the whole drag universe is exploding beyond exactly. drag race. Jeez. And like it there's just so much drag that we're honestly to the point of like overpopulation a little bit. There's going to be some oversaturation, but that's also when it starts crawling back into the underground and yes. you get the 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 really creative stuff starts starts popping out and then you find new voices like Dragula you find mm-hmm. new voices uh, uh, different ways uh, and that's the best for me that's the best part of this drag explosion because of drag races that you know otherwise we wouldn't be seeing people like Evie Oddly or even Jinx Monsoon mm-hmm. you know like or Bianca like you're, people are understanding that drag's a lot more now than it used yeah. to be which is just lip syncing and death drops that sort of thing there's a lot of outlets to it yeah Absolutely. And it's been so much fun to watch this huge drag explosion mm-hmm. and seeing like, oh, there's creepy girls and there's campy girls and there's beauty queens and there's mm-hmm. actresses. and commi- It's really fun for the rest of the world. It's fun for me to watch the rest of the world mm-hmm. discover that drag is really and truly an art. Yeah. Yeah, and just and just like any other medium of art, there are a thousand different ways to do it. You you know, there's not just country music. There's not just pop, or yeah. jazz, or, or classical. And it's uh, it, but if you're going to be well rounded, listen to all of that. And that's how I feel about about drag as a whole. But pay attention to your hometown girls. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And my my final question for you is: What would your advice to any up and coming newbie queen be? Don't do it. <laughs> no, we are we are at full capacity. No, <laughs> no. Uh, find find um, what makes you unique. Um, do uh, I would say I personally suggest you can like we have said earlier you can pick and choose from all kinds of inspirations, but make sure that you that you mold those into who you are keep your own voice find something just find a find a a, um, a a view or a slant at what you do that's that's unlike anybody else because nobody wants to see the same old stuff and um, the amount of money in your pocketbook does not necessarily constitute to how good you're going to be on stage like it's great to have this this high-end makeup and a high-end brush and high-end costumes and this that and the other but honey if that's all they're paying attention to you're not performing exactly that is that is great advice i actually lied i have one more question for you where can all of our listeners find you um well uh i uh, i i'm not allowed to disclose where the aa meetings are <laughs> but uh i don't go to meetings no, uh, no, they're, they're more of gatherings, really, at this point. <laughs> uh, you can find me at Miss Divine Grace on TikTok, M-I-S-S, Divine Grace. And for God's sake, divine spelled with two I's. I'm not Loretta Divine. 
Miss Divine Grace on TikTok, Miss Divine Grace at Instagram, and The Divine Grace on Facebook, which is where I'm most prevalent. And as always, you can find me across all social media platforms. Just go to gingerminge.com and click on that link tree. Thank you so much for listening today. And Divine Grace, thank you so much for taking time out to talk to all of us. You will always, anytime. I love you too. I'm going to definitely, we have to do this whole TV Land Live get together so all of us can talk at once because I think people were really kiki over. I think it'd be If they get an understanding of how we all work together, oh yes. I think they'll listen to it and go, how the fuck do they get anything accomplished? (laughs) We love you guys so much. Uh, And remember to support your local queens because they are your hometown sheroes. Now, if you enjoyed us today, make sure you like, comment, subscribe, share. And if you hated us, well, thanks for listening to Jinx Monsoon Podcast. We love you so much and we'll we'll talk to you. We'll talk with you next time. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh.